Good morning again. I don't think you can say that enough. Hope that everybody has a good morning. It's a terrible thing to try to listen to a rotten preacher preaching to a rotten congregation. Good morning. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this day. Do you happen to know what the date, D-A-T, is this day? 8-28. And in the 8th chapter of Romans, verse number 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Time passes so quickly. I had a birthday this last week and was reminded by my wife that I'm 89 years old. Now, I've been trying to keep up with Brother Birdsong back there. But Brother Birdsong, every time I have one, seems like you have two. And I'm still just lagging a little bit behind you. But, uh, you know... Birthdays are good. Death days are not so good. Birthdays are good. And uh, we are glad to have you here today. Please turn to the book of Jonah for our study. Today we're in the sixth in a series of sermons on the gospel of Jonah. The gospel of Jonah. I'm going to be reading in a moment. In Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and verse number 6. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and verse 6. Let me encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. I think it's a good thing for a Christian as he goes out to the car to travel to church and he makes sure... Not only that he has his car keys, but he has a a copy of the Word of God with him. If for no other reason, it just makes the unsaved world so angry. To see Bibles and God's people holding them and coming to church. We used to have a six-point record system when I was a Southern Baptist as a child in Sunday school. You checked to make sure you got 100% in Sunday school. By checking all of those blocks. One of the blocks was bring your Bible. If you don't bring your Bible, you're not all here. And we want you to do that and do it habitually. Do it because it's something you do every Sunday. It makes a difference what you read in the Word of God. Not what you think about the Word of God, but what you read in the Word of God. And you can best do that by bringing your Bible with you and following along in the scripture. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Notice he just talked about the belly of the fish in verse 17. And now he picks up the same subject, the fish's belly, in chapter 2, verse 1. And verse 2 says, And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. Forget about the belly of the fish for a moment. Out of the belly of hell cried I, 
and thou heardest my voice. And verse number six, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now, the subject this morning comes in the form of a question mark, and I think it is a question that each of us should be interested in. Where are the dead? Where are the dead? I believe every individual in our audience today has been touched in some form or another by death. Someone you loved, someone you cared for, someone who was close to you, they're no longer there, they're dead. Now, where are the dead? For many years, I was taught to believe that when the mariners threw Jonah overboard from the ship that God had prepared a huge fish that was swimming right beside the ship. And instead of Jonah going into the water, he went down the esophagus of that fish where he remained alive for three days and three nights. I was then taught that God made the fish sick so that he would spit up Jonah on dry land. I began one day to raise questions about such a story when I read a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40, spoken by our Lord himself. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. From this I began to see that the purpose of Jonah was to present the Lord Jesus Christ. That whatever happened to Jonah was in type that which would happen to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would be resurrected. And so Jonah would be resurrected. Jesus Christ would die. And so Jonah would die. Jesus would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And so Jonah would be in the fish for three days and three nights. And because of this, I moved to the second stage in my understanding of of the book of Jonah. I realized that the miracle of Jonah was not that he was kept alive while in the fish, but that he actually died and lay a corpse in that fish. God actually raised Jonah from the dead just as Christ would be raised from the dead. And then a few years later, I came to another stage of my understanding about Jonah. He did not die in the fish, but he died by drowning in the sea. That was based upon what I would found in Jonah 2, verses 1 and 2, which we just read. Jonah went to a place called hell. It is the Hebrew word 
Sheol. And to do that, he had to die. Thus, at the point of Jonah's drowning, his body remained in the water while his soul went to Sheol or went to hell. Immediately the fish swallowed Jonah's body and it lay in the fish for three days and three nights. After which God brought Jonah's soul out of Sheol where it was reunited with his body in the fish and he was spit up on dry ground. All of this raises a very important question. If Jonah was a saved person, why did he go to the belly of hell? If Jonah was a saved person, why did he go to the belly of hell? This brings us and brings up the need of our present study entitled, Where Are the Dead? Or why and where do people go when they die? Well, we know just a smidgen of an answer to that question. Most people, when they die, they're buried in a grave somewhere, in a cemetery somewhere. And usually, prior to that, there is a memorial service in a church by the members of the family and loved ones. And we go to the funeral and we see the loved one in the coffin and the coffin is going to be lowered into the grave and then we go home and resume our thinking. But the thinking has just begun. Where did they go? Where did they go? Before getting into the meat of the message, it's absolutely necessary that we understand that man is a soul with a body. Now, you should have learned that somewhere along the way. That man is a soul with a body and not a body with a soul. While the body is mortal, the soul is immortal. It will live on forever after the body succumbs to death. So would you just happen by chance to have a scripture that would teach that? Yes, ma'am. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, if you don't turn to it, listen to it. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That little word captured my attention. The Lord God formed man. Now, if you're like the typical Baptist, you never get excited enough to even say amen. But I looked that up just in the Hebrew word for it is yatsan, yatsan. And it means to squeeze into shape. Now, hang on. And the Lord God squeezed into shape the man from the dust of the earth. That's where you got your body from. God squeezed it into shape. Doesn't that just kind of make you want to say, glory be to God. 
Isn't that great? Think about that for a moment. While the family was waiting, God was squeezing. Amen. And he had a purpose in mind. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Soul death is the separation of the soul from God. The soul lives on forever, but the body is taken away. I like the little word nostrils there. Adam had a set of nostrils. That's good. That means he had a body, doesn't it? He had ears. He had a nose. He had a face. He had nostrils. But he was just simply a spiritless or soulless body until God breathed into him and he became, not was and did graduate to something better, but he became a human being. Soul with a body. And he's going to live in that body as long as the soul stays intact. When Jonah drowned to death, His soul had to go somewhere. Just like when you die. And when I die, our soul has to go somewhere. The Bible says that he, Jonah, cried to God out of the belly of hell. And that word hell there is sheol. Out of the belly of hell. His soul went into sheol. That was the place of departed spirits in the Old Testament. And when a person died in the Old Testament, their soul had to go somewhere. And that somewhere was Sheol, the belly of hell. Now, how the word hell is used in the Bible. The English word hell occurs 54 times in the Bible. I hope you have a good memory or you got a sharp pencil. Either one will help you. First of all, 31 times it is translated from the Hebrew word Sheol. Not all the words translated hell come from the Hebrew word, but 31 of those usages are. They come from the word Sheol, meaning the place of departed spirits. When a person died in the Old Testament, his soul had to go somewhere. Example, Psalm 139, verse 8. David, an Old Testament character, said, If I make my bed in hell, and he used the word Sheol, David went to hell. Jonah went to hell. Abraham went to hell. Everybody in the Old Testament, when they died, they had to go somewhere because the soul had left the body. And when the soul leaves the body, the body is dead to be buried. Ten times, it is the Greek word. And the reason it would be Greek is because it refers to when you read it in the New Testament. It is the word Hades. Hades, H-A-D-E-S, meaning the same thing that Sheol does, the place of departed souls. It is the equivalent of Sheol in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, you read Sheol. In the New Testament, you read it from the Greek. It is Hades, and we sometimes refer to it as Sheol Hades. Whether you're talking about Old Testament people dying or New Testament people dying to a certain point. 
The example for that is in Luke chapter 16, verse number 23. The rich man died, and in Hades, it's a New Testament thing, so we're talking about in Hades instead of Sheol there. The rich man died, and in hell, Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Twelve times the word hell is the Greek word Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, Gehenna, and it means the final place of the wicked. In Matthew 23, 33, the Lord Jesus said to some people, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell and he uses not the word Sheol, Hades, but the word Gehenna. Gehenna. One time, it is the Greek word Tartarus or Tartarus, T-A-R-A, T-A-R-U-S, meaning the lowest abyss of Hades, or sometimes called the bottomless pit. It is the place of imprisoned angels. Not all disobedient angels were thrown in jail. We'll get into that in a moment. Some of them are free, and they're called demons. They go where they want to go, and they do what they want to do. Ask the Gadarean demoniac. He could tell you all about demons. But there were a classification of demons that God arrested and put in confinement called Tartarus. And it is a translation of the word hell one time in your Bible. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, that's not Sheol, Hades, that's Tartarus, to Taurus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, since Tartarus is the prison house of fallen angels, and since no one is in Gehenna hell up to now, it is called the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. And the first two people to go there will be the Antichrist and the false prophet. And you read that in Revelation chapter 19 verse 20. Nobody is in Gehenna today. There will be two initial ones placed into Gehenna, the false prophet and the Antichrist. Because of that, we will give our attention to Sheol and Hades which refers to the same place. It is translated hell and refers to the place of departed souls. It's where souls go when they vacate the bodies they've possessed. And the body is left dead, lifeless, because the soul has left it. And the soul is immortal, but the body is temporary. Question, what is Sheol Hades? What is Sheol Hades? Number one, 
It was the place to which the souls of Old Testament saved and unsaved went when they died. You see, the people in the Old Testament, they have souls just like you and I have souls today. But there had to be a difference in the place where they went upon death as opposed to where they go after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope you're getting all this. Death separates the soul from the body. The body goes to the grave, but the soul goes to Sheol, Hades. It's got to go somewhere. It's not where it's always been in human life. When the body dies, the soul's gone. The soul's gone, and then the body dies. That's what causes death. Somebody said, well, he had a bad heart. No, he had a missing soul. You cannot live without your soul. It is your soul which lives and causes your body to respond. I was hesitant about preaching on this because of, and it is deep. You have to listen to with both ears. This place called Sheol Hades contained three divisions. Number one, their lowest section was the imprisonment of fallen angels called Tartarus. The only ones down there in that division were the angels that had sinned a particular sin against God. Second of all, it was the division for the unsaved, which was a place of punishment. And thirdly, there was the division for the saved, or those who knew the Lord, which was a place of comfort and rest, and it is called paradise and Abraham's bosom. Take a moment to turn to Luke chapter 16, please. The Gospel of Luke. We'll come back to Jonah. Luke chapter number 16. Please notice carefully the reading of God's Word. There was a certain rich man. That lets you know it's not a parable. He's talking about a certain rich man who lived on this earth. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. As for he met Joe Biden. You welcome. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, just like it will come to pass that you die. It'll come to pass that I die, unless the Lord interrupts it by the second coming. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and they buried him. And in hell, there's the word Hades, it's in the Greek, it's Sheol in the Old Testament. And in Sheol Hades, he lifted up, that is the rich man, he lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside this, Between us and you, there's a great gulf separating you two. The beggar's on one side in Sheol, Hades, and you're on the other side in Sheol, Hades. You cannot pass from where you are to where he is, and he cannot pass from where he is to where you are. It is an impassable gulf, but it's the same locality. Sheol, Hades, the place of departed spirits. In the Old Testament. Both the rich man and Lazarus went there when they died. Yet there was a gulf that separated the two. One was in torment while the other one was at rest. Called Abraham's bosom. The gulf was impassable. Question. Where is Sheol Hades? I hope you believe in your encounter through life as a human being that things exist and some of them you don't see. But they're there nonetheless. They're real. In Jonah chapter number 2, let's answer that question, where is Sheol, Hades? First of all, it's located at the bottoms of the mountain. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 2. Jonah said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. That is the place of the cutting off of the mountains. He went down to where the mountains stopped growing down. We spend our time on vacations going sometimes to see the mountains that are still growing up. <laughs> Seems like to get bigger and bigger. But Sheol Hades is located at the bottoms of the mountains. Not only that, it is also located according to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9. Speaking of Christ who went there, it's located in the lower Parts of the earth. In Ephesians 4 9, now that he ascended, speaking of the ascension of Jesus Christ, now that he ascended, what is it but that Christ also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? The lower parts of the earth. Thirdly, Sheol Hades is described as being in the heart of the earth. In Matthew twelve forty, the Lord Jesus said, So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth. I've had some preachers to argue with me on this and say, Well, he talks about the heart of the earth. It's talking about the earth as a whole. 
Let me ask you a question. When we talk about the heart of a watermelon, are you talking about the rind? Are you not talking about the center part, the sweet part, the thing that gives the rest of it life, the heart of the earth? You see, the body of Jesus Christ did not rest in as much as one foot of earth. Christ was not placed into the earth. He was placed into a tomb on this earth. You cannot correctly call Christ's death and being buried going into the heart of the earth. And that's his burial. No, he was buried in a tomb. And even then it was the heart or the grave or the place of burial for another man. Good explanation. You'll enjoy this if you enjoy the Bible study. The book of Numbers chapter 16. The book of Numbers chapter 16 for an illustration of this. It is a chapter that deals with a man whose name was Korah. He was a Levite. And he got tired of the way the preacher was preaching and didn't like Moses and Aaron said, I'm going to take over the church. I'm going to take over business. In other words, it says in chapter 16 of Numbers, now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, and list those who were relatives to him, they rose up before Moses and they gathered themselves against Moses and against Aaron. And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. He told Korah, he said, you take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. Moses, in verse 15, was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I've not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Verse 20, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from this congregation. Don't have anything to do with him and his wife and his kids. Separate yourself from them, that I may consume them I'm getting ready to kill them, that I may consume them in a minute. Well, I thought God was a God of love. Huh? Verse 23, the Lord spake to Moses and said, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, these three men, these ringleaders of opposition. Moses rose up. He spake unto the congregation, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. Well, tell me, what did the Lord do? I thought you might be interested in that. It came to pass, verse 31, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up not only did it swallow them up but swallow their houses and all the men that appertained under Korah and everything they owned they and all they, they went down where did they go they went down alive into the pit by the way Jonah chapter 6 verse 6b Jonah talks about being rescued from the pit 
when he re-enters the fish that held his body. The pit there, by the way, is the Hebrew word Sheol. They and all those pertained to them went down alive into the pit. Where'd they go? They went down to Sheol. God killed them and their souls wound up in Sheol. And the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled and at the cry of them for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. I presume that this Sheol Hades has something about being in the heart of the earth where Christ went when his body's in the tomb stayed for three days and three nights. His soul went to Sheol Hades, the heart of the earth. Geology and science is good only if it cooperates with the teaching of God's word. I understand that. Geology bears this out. The earth, and please give me a little latitude here. I'm not teaching science today. Boy, I was a lousy student in science. Matter of fact, I was a lousy student in school. Just lousy. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It is 8,000 miles in diameter. The heart of the earth would be 4,000 miles deep. Think of it as the yellow of an egg. This is where our volcanoes and our earthquakes come from. The planet earth that you and I live on. Where did Jesus Christ, our Lord, go when he died? Where did Christ go when he died? Jonah went to Sheol, according to Jonah 2, verse number 2. The scripture says, Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. The Lord Jesus went to the same place, Sheol, In Acts chapter 2, verse 27, he is spoken of in this fashion. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, in Sheol, nor will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Didn't say his soul wouldn't go there. It said he would not suffer corruption when he got there. His body, that is the body of Jesus Christ, lay in the tomb, but his soul visited Sheol. Jonah's body lay in the fish, but his soul visited Sheol. As Jonah, so Christ. Jesus Christ went to paradise located in Sheol. How do we know that? Because just before he died on the cross, there was a criminal on one and either side of him. And one of those criminals said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today, this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that's not when paradise was up. Paradise was down as well as Abraham's bosom, as well as this division of Sheol, Hades. Now then, 
please let me beg for your attention. Why did the Lord Jesus go to Sheol? Why would he do that? Number one, because as a human being, and I hope you don't deny that, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is complete God. He is deity. But at the same time, he was born a human being. And as a human being, his soul had to go somewhere when it died. Do you, do you see that? Why did Jesus go to Sheol? Because as a human being, his soul had to go there. Christ had a human body, he had a human soul, and he had a human spirit. Don't have the time, we'll save that some other time. First Thessalonians 5.23, we're a dichotomy, a dichotomy creation. We're body, soul, and spirit. And when you die, my dear friends, not only will your body be buried, perhaps it will be buried, depending on your death and so forth and so on, but your soul is going to go somewhere when you die. And members of your family, when they die, their soul's going to go somewhere. Why did Jesus go to Sheol? Because as a human being, his soul had to go there. Number two, because he needed to make a proclamation to the fallen angels in Tartarus. Remember, this Sheol Hades is divided into three parts. The lower abyss was the prison house of despair for the angels that sinned against God. God locked them up. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, just write the reference down if we're going too fast. First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which, that is by his soul or spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. What spirits in prison is he talking about? He defines it in verse 20. Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah when the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved. Now, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus, I do not believe he cast all the angels that followed Lucifer at his outcast. I do not believe they all went down to Tartarus because somebody became demons. And I believe they're fallen angels who are demons that are still in existence on this earth today. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell... 
and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Did you know the next verse 5 talks about Noah? Whenever he's talking about Tartarus and these fallen angels that are in prison, he locks Noah in the picture, letting you know of a time factor we're talking about. They did something in Noah's day that God would not forgive them of and punish them throughout eternity for. He locked them up into Tartarus. In the book of Jude, which is the little book before you get into Revelation, verse number 6, and Brother Phil did a superb job on this on the Wednesday night study. If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. You may have missed it. You missed a blessing. He's talking about in verse 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day, the judgment of that great day. They left their own habitation. Now, I hope you know Ezekiel well enough to know that records the day that Satan or Lucifer said, I will overthrow you, God, I'll be God of heaven. And God kicked the devil out of his presence, and with him Satan drew one-third of the angelic population. When he fell, they fell. But not all of those angels that fell went to Tartarus. Some of those angels are still in existence today on this earth doing what Satan wants them to do. The devil, they're called demons. Well, what did they do? We don't have the time to tell you. But I will just quickly mention it. It's when the sons of God married the daughters of men and an monstrosity of a race of people were born as a result of it. And it happened in Noah's day. And sons of God are used to describe angels in the Old Testament. Only one time in Hosea chapter 1 verse 9 do you read that he's talking prophetically about the day when we as sons of God we today think of sons of God, and correctly so, as those who've been saved by the grace of God. I'm a son of God. But in the Old Testament, sons of God were angels. Read the first chapter of the book of Job. The angels came. The sons of God came. Not born-again Christians. Angels were sons of God. And what they did, God locked them up for it. He incarcerated them for it because he needed to make a proclamation to the fallen angels in Tartarus. These particular spirits were linked in Noah's day. His proclamation had to do with showing them Satan's devious plan to destroy the Messianic seed by the marriage of angels to humans did not work. It is the Greek word, and I'm sorry, but it's important you know this. There is a word in delivering a message called evangelism. We're preaching. Preach the word. But there's another word that is translated preach, caruso, meaning I've come to make a very important announcement. 
And it is this word Caruso that the Lord Jesus goes down to Sheol, Hades, into Tartarus to these unclean demons, and he makes an announcement. Guess what, brothers? It didn't work. I am still the resurrection and the life. That's what the Lord was doing down there. And then could I quickly mention another thing. Why did Jesus go to Sheol? Because as a human being, his soul had to go there. Number two, because he needed to make a proclamation to the fallen angels in Tartarus, but to free the captives in Abraham's bosom and take them up to heaven. In Ephesians 4, 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive. Now that one really did stir my imagination. Who are the captives that were taken captive? Those who had died and they knew the Lord and their bodies had to go, their souls had to go somewhere. They went to Sheol Hades, but they wound up in a place called a part of Sheol Hades, Abraham's bosom or paradise a place of comfort like the rich man and the beggar. The beggar went to Abraham's bosom to free the captives in Abraham's bosom. Free the cap- they, they were captivated. They were being held there until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So well, what happened at the resurrection? Guess what happened? Paradise was moved in its location and no longer today after the resurrection of Christ is paradise down there paradise is up yonder and Jesus Christ negotiated that move when he left this earth and they watched him as he was taken out of sight at the ascension leading captivity captive mm. In doing this, he transferred paradise and Abraham's bosom. You know, I speak as a fool. I know you know it. That's a fact. I speak as a fool. Brother Forrest Keener was a dear preacher friend of mine. Forrest liked to brag about how smart he was. (laughs) But he always did it to establish a point. Every once in a while, I want to see if there's somebody else on planet Earth as smart as I am. And so I go to the tall timber guys. I talk to the, uh, the theological elites. And I was reading W.E. Vine's Expository Dictionary of the Old and New Testament Words. I have a copy of it in my office. And he takes the words that are used in the Bible and tells you what the meaning of those words are. Do you know what Mr. Vine said, the meaning of this, this little phrase here? He took captivity captive. I'm quoting Mr. Vine now, all right? He had more than just kidneys in his brain, okay? He had smart. He says at his ascension... This is Mr. Vine quoting. Christ transferred the redeemed Old Testament saints 
from Sheol to his own presence in glory. And when I read that, I said, I'm glad Vine was right. That's what he did. So if I'm stupid, I join the school of stupidity. Because I believe the Bible means what it says. And words are very important because they convey what God thinks. And the only way you can understand what God thinks is to listen and read his word. The dead prior to the resurrection of Christ. The unsaved went to torment in Sheol, Hades. The saved went to Abraham's bosom, also located in Sheol, Hades. The dead after the resurrection. The unsaved go to torment in Hades, but the saved go to paradise in heaven. How do you know that? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord. And that means up there. The saved go to paradise in heaven. Paradise was transferred to heaven. I won't keep you too long. Really, I won't. Just just another minute or two. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I lost my marker, but... uh, haven't lost the scripture yet. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 through 4. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 through 4. Paul is speaking. By the way, he's a New Testament saint. He's not an Old Testament like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's a New Testament Christian, okay? It's not expedient. For me, doubtless to glory, I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ. Above 14 years ago, whether he was in the body, I cannot tell. Whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one was caught up to the third heaven. Paul is speaking about what he experienced in his life on this earth. There was a point when they thought he was dead, and if he was dead, his soul went up to, up, up. That's the idea. He, he was caught up. How that he was caught up into paradise, not down, but up, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paradise was transferred to heaven. If, my dear friends, you have someone that you have experienced their death, and they knew the Lord, and they were Christians, and had been saved by God's grace, Within one second after their body died, their soul was gone, but it went to be with Christ. Went to be with the Lord. And that's encouragement. And that's joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see, the only people that dread funerals are those who are left because they can't quite figure it out. If it ever dawns on you, that your loved one did know the Lord and is with the Lord, I can assure you, my dear friends, you wouldn't want to call them back. This is the last of it, and I will do it quickly. I've got four minutes according to my clock. 
I have a clock. Yeah. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 20, the lake of fire refers to Gehenna. The beast and the false prophet are the first ones to be cast into Gehenna. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse number 20. The beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. They were the first two to enter into this Gehenna, the lake of fire. Now what is Gehenna, the lake of fire? It is that final place for all wicked men. They will endure it and have to be a part of it forever and ever. In Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. There it is. Gehenna and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now glue your eyes, if you would please, on Revelation 20, verse number 13. And the sea gave up the dead. This is the great white throne judgment before which every unsaved man will stand, living and dead will stand before the Lord at that day. And the Bible says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, that's the word Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And verse 14 says, And death and hell, that is Hades, death and hell, were cast into the lake of fire, that's Gehenna, which is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If for no other reason, I hope it stimulates your thought so that you'll read it and study it. If nothing happens next Sunday, we'll be taking the seventh in the series. And I want to preach next Sunday morning on a seasick fish, okay? Let's stand, please, for prayer.